0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Brunch and Learn. I'm your host, Nicole Dillon, and this is a podcast for women who love to brunch, like myself. Here, we talk about two of my favorite topics, brunch, obviously, and the idea that we can learn something new every day. Each episode, we'll interview a new female powerhouse, gab as though we're girlfriends at brunch, and learn something for our brains. So let's get started. Hey, brunchers. Welcome back to another edition of the Brunch and Learn podcast, the podcast where we talk to women entrepreneurs on their subject matter expertise, and we'll be talking about brunch as usual a little bit later, but I wanted to welcome our guest, Allison Evanant. She is the founder and CEO of Square One Organic Spirits, and this is the U.S.'s first all organic spirits company that she started back in 2004. And I first want to welcome you, Allison, to the podcast.
1: Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Glad to be here.
0: How about we kick things right off and tell the listeners about your story, your background, how you got started in the spirits industry tell us about Allison.
1: Yeah, it's it's been an interesting history. I I was in the wine and spirits industry earlier in my career and have kind of always considered myself a foodie, cocktail wine aficionado, etc. and having worked for some large companies in the wine and spirits space one day I noticed uh, a bar in San Francisco making a cocktail where they had kind of put, you know, kind of how chefs will put right down, oh, the special of the day is such and such with, you know, line caught wild salmon and fresh organic tomatoes from such and such farm and fresh, you know, watercress mm-hmm. from another farm. And I, we got it at the farmer's market and all that. And I saw a bar do it with a cocktail And yet I realized that they had all these great ingredients that were from the farmer's market that were organic, but they were using some products in there that I knew having a spirits background that had a lot of fake flavors and additives in it. And I thought, isn't that weird that they're, you know, they're going out of their way to bring all these amazing organic products to a a specialty cocktail of the day. But I happen to know because I'm from the industry that the spirit they used, you know, has some stuff in it that would no, you know, not qualify as organic, and that was one of the kind of you know ding, ding, ding moments for me to realize that organic uh, materials had not really or raw ingredients had not really made their way into spirits, and so that was you know in 2004, and that's kind of how I got my my start, uh, if you will, was thinking it's high time somebody gets into organics in spirits and shows authenticity and transparency in the ingredients in what they make. And that was the beginning, I guess that's where we started at square one, if you will.
0: Yeah, even I think before you started square one, where was that, where were you before that? So I
1: was previously uh, running the marketing department. I was a vice president of marketing at Domaine Chandon Winery in Napa Valley. And uh, prior to that, I worked in global marketing for Jose Cuervo Tequila. I was primarily working on some of their high-end luxury tequilas. In fact, one of the most fun projects I got to work on was we launched the first ever tequila barrel program where people had to purchase the tequila by a whole barrel commitment. And, uh, that's a lot more common these days, especially here in the US with bourbon. Um, but back in back then that was very much a new thing to consider uh, somebody actually purchasing uh, a whole barrel for for their for their tequila you know at their home bar. So I, I did cut my teeth in the industry. I learned a lot from working for the big companies. But, um, and a lot of their products, I always gravitated to the higher end, more boutique niche products that had this really, real big focus on the quality of the ingredients and more so than their more mainstream products. And, and that really kind of informed how I felt about cocktails and spirits and food and things like that was, you know, very much a focus on, on quality for for when I was starting
0: my company. And I'm guessing you didn't, did you go to school for this? Was this a thing? kind
1: of kind of I mean I I um I did get my MBA in international marketing and so from I I of course went to undergrad I didn't study business in undergrad I, I double majored in Spanish and foreign affairs of Latin America and as soon as I graduated I was on a plane and I I yeah. I flew uh to Spain and I had done my junior year abroad in Spain and and I went back to Spain and I I kind of got lucky and found a job and uh was able to find a company that sponsored my work permit. So I ended up staying over there for four years working. And it was just an incredible experience. And it had such a huge impact on on me from a food and beverage perspective, because when I compared it to the United States, the US still at that time had not really gotten into its kind of renaissance of food and beverage and people were still drinking, you know, Blue Nun wine, no offense to the Blue Wine people, the Blue Nun people, um, you know, and things from a can and frozen food. And, you know, I got over to Spain and everything they make from a food and a wine and a beer and and perspective was just all fresh and natural. And it was just an an incredible experience. And so a lot of that, even unknowingly at the time, you know, when I started Square One, it it did kind of have a lot of impact on me early on, as far as how I approach um, food and beverage consumption uh, in my life. So it was pretty cool.
0: (laughs) That sounds amazing. I've never been to Spain. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> I know. Once we're unleashed and unvaccinated, I'm sure.
1: Oh, I know. Well, we were supposed to go to Spain last summer uh, as a family. Um, and I was, I'd already set it up with all my old colleagues and my friends. I'm still very much in touch with my, uh, some of my girlfriends from work. And we followed each other, you know, as we've gotten older and married and had kids, et cetera. And even one of them sent one of her sons to come stay with us for part of the summer a couple of years ago. So we were all ready to go and I was so excited and then, oh, you know, COVID. So we don't think we're going to be able to make it there this summer either. I think it's cutting things a little too close, but it's definitely on the bucket list as a family trip. So we'll be back soon, I'm sure.
0: That's awesome. Do you have a favorite spot, like city, place you go to?
1: Well, I lived in Madrid uh, and I think that's a great place to be when you live uh, in the country, not just visiting. It's obviously not nearly as romantic as some of the other parts of Spain, uh, which have more historical, you know, beautiful architecture and things like that. But what I found about the country that was so fascinating is pretty much everywhere we went, whether it was a big city like Barcelona or a tiny little town on the coast of Galicia, um, you always just had this just you walked away falling in love with every single little town or region. It just has a lot to offer in a very small, it's not that small, but, but relative to the United States, a very small, you know, geographic footprint. So lots of regional differences in food and beverage and style. And it was just fabulous. It was great. Can you tell, I want to go back?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I just miss traveling in general.
1: Yeah, Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So just getting back to your question about getting started and all that. So, you know, that really was kind of the big aha moment was this seeing this bartender in San Francisco following this specialty of the day approach to the cocktails as chefs would do going out of their way to get organic ingredients, but knowing that some of the spirits in there were, I knew for a fact that some of the ingredients in that spirit were not what I would call quote unquote clean label. And so it was at that time that I thought somebody's got to do organic spirits. And then I kind of thought, hmm, well, maybe that's somebody's me because I come from the background. I, I come from the industry. I never really thought I would become an entrepreneur, but I thought it was a really good idea. And I lived in Marin County, California, at the time, which is north of San Francisco. And you know, very farmer market oriented, um, you know, sustainable agriculture everywhere you turn. So the ethos and the lifestyle of of marine county really fed into that as well and so when considering okay well great organic spirits okay and then what right that's just a very broad thinking about you know what what am i going to make and you know i love spirits of every category and so at first i thought oh i'm gonna make an organic organic vodka, and organic gym, organic rum, organic whiskey, organic tequila, everything was organic. And we're going to be the portfolio of everything organic. And then I started putting the business plan together and I'm like, yeah, I don't have enough money to do all of that. <laughs> um, and I think we need to stay focused. Right. And so the other part that really struck me was that at the time, there was a big boom in the flavored vodka category. And it was sadly a big boom in the really not good quality side of flavored vodka. The things that were using, you know, that were whipped cream and devil's food cake and fruit loop and all these really fake, 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 fake flavors. And I knew again, coming from the industry that 90% of those flavored vodkas were derived from a flavor that some person in a lab coat, uh, a white lab coat created out of some chemical uh, combination with no real plant-based ingredients. And I remember thinking, you know, I didn't love vodka. I drank some vodkas. There were definitely some vodkas I really enjoyed but I wasn't an explorer of vodka. And I certainly was not an explorer of flavored vodkas because most of them that i had had were not really, I felt, of good quality. They tasted like Jolly Rancher candy and very sugary and very fake. And I remember thinking, you know, I love gin, but there's sometimes where I don't want gin. I don't want the juniper. I don't want all the botanicals. But what if we made vodka like gin? You know, what if we use real botanicals instead of lab coat-created flavors? And The surprising thing when I kind of dove in a little deeper outside of my consumer knowledge and I jumped in more with industry research, I was like, wow, there are very few brands in the vodka category that are using real plants. And um, nobody at the time was doing all organic, both from the base grain to the botanical infusions. And that's kind of when I said, okay, you know what? This is where I'm going to stake, you know, put my stake in the ground is we're going to bring real plant-based botanical infusions, all organic ingredients to the vodka category, because 90% of the vodka category is not good quality. And that was really the beginning of square one. And when you come, you know, 15 years forward now, and as a matter of fact, our 15-year anniversary is April 1, so it's coming up mm-hmm. next week. Um, you know, everything we do is if we cannot make it and it's in a certified organic way and source organic ingredients, we're not gonna do it. And it's mostly because we just really wanna make sure that we are very transparent with the ingredients we use. The spirits industry is not required to put label, um, label information on their bottles. And so that's why a lot of brands put stuff in there that you probably don't wanna know they put in there. Um, and so that's a big part of what we do. If everything has to be organic, in order for us to ensure that we are offering a, a truly authentic spirit with a lot of ingredient transparency. And then on top of that, we kind of stew everything a little bit more to the slightly savory um, or floral botanical side instead of relying heavily on fruit. You know, we're not really a fruit-based product line. We're more a little garden, if you will.
0: That was my next question of telling us a little bit more about the company and square one, and he gave us a lot of information. Anything else you want to share with the listeners about product lineup or anything else that they might not know about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's,
1: what's really interesting is when we, when I started the company, there were a couple things that were going on at the time. And that is small boutique brands barely existed. So that in and of itself was unusual and unique. This kind of craft spirit boom had not quite started yet. Um, and certainly outside of California, you know, it didn't exist at all. Um, and so we, we, got a, we had a lot of people scratching their heads going, really? <laughs> Organic? It's booze. You're putting something bad in your body. Um, you know, why does it, why does it matter? And when I was able to tell the story that I just told now about the authenticity of the ingredients, like for example, our organic rye, we we get our organic rye from farms in Montana and we bring it to the distillery in Idaho. And I work with a a distillery in Idaho that was the first certified organic distillery in the whole country. And and I did not want to put all of my money in a building a distillery. I wanted to, to really develop the products, but not necessarily have like a tasting room and turn it into this kind of um, tourism destination. So that's why I decided not to, to actually build a distillery and instead work with one who would work with me on custom development. And so at the time, there was a lot of skepticism about organics. And so we made the decision. And when I say we, I'm including my sister, because she's my silent investor. Um, she's my backer. We've bootstrapped this whole company ourselves. Um, we do not have professional outside investors yet. We're actually in the middle of a capital raise for the first time ever in our history. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but, um, but, uh, we decided to stay small because we knew the market wasn't ready for us, that we were going to, we were so far ahead of the curve being not only organic, but our cucumber vodka was the first cucumber vodka ever in the world. And there's like 40 of them now. Um, Our botanical spirit was basically a gin with no juniper and we called it botanical spirit. And people were like, what's that? And, you know, a a basil vodka with four different basils, lemongrass, coriander, and honeysuckle flower. I mean, very food driven style flavor profiles and our bergamot citrus with multiple citruses and other ingredients as well. And so we realized that we were very niche. So we focused primarily on bars, restaurants, and hotels for most of our history. And then fast forward to maybe a, two years ago, finally realized that organic was a thing across you know mainstream America. It was not just, oh, you, you're only going to find organic at Whole Foods Market, right? You're only going to find organic in your little local organic co-op, natural co-op. And so that's when we decided, you know, consumers want access to more organic products and there still is a dearth of, um, uh, options in the cocktail category. And so that's when we decided to, uh, launch two product lines. One is a line of all, again, organic, uh, cocktail mixers fairly basic because we want to provide you with the basic ingredients to kind of explore instead we're not making like spicy jalapeno and tamarind turmeric syrups right that's too in you know too yeah. specific so we have a line of of of, of course bloody mary um uh, spicy ginger syrup which is our bestseller. it's amazing uh a, p- a pomegranate rose water Um, And lemon cocktail mixer and a lemon and a lime uh, mixer as well, the lemon and lime sours. And so what was interesting there is a lot of people said, well, it's just cocktail mixers, who cares? And some other people said, yeah, and I don't drink cocktail mixers because they're nasty. And I said, well, the same reason I did flavored vodka 15 years ago, you know, was I'm doing the same thing in cocktail mixers is most cocktail mixers that are more widely available outside of super niche boutique stores are still made with a lot of high fructose corn syrup, fake flavors, fake colors, fake everything, and no real juice. And instead we use a very high level of juice. We go as low as we can on the sugar while having it still taste balanced. Um, And, and of course, everything organic. And you'd be surprised at how (laughs) Um, there's not a lot of competition out there in that, not that I want to invite competition, but I think it's hard to do that and do it well. And so that's been, um, a really fascinating new part of our journey. And then the last one, we're just, we did a small little rollout last year because of COVID we had to pull back, but we have a cool, fun, new line of canned cocktails um, four different ones. They're all on a base of one of our botanical vodkas. So one is called cucumber therapy. (laughs) So when you need your kind of sit in the spa or by the pool, uh, and just chill out, the cucumber therapy is perfect. And it's got cucumber, vodka, rose, ginger, lemon. Um, we have one called pair of roses, which uses a lot of florals in it um Basilberry Fizz and Mediterranean Pearl. And they all what's cool about these is they're all individual crafted cocktails. That's not a vodka soda. It's not a vodka tonic. These are, you know, unique products that you want to have one beautiful little convenient cocktail in a can. You're not sitting there, you know, session drinking a 3% alcohol hard seltzer that has no flavor or just one little flavor in it. So these are really cool because they're very unique. So that kind of rounds out the whole portfolio. And and that's been really fun because it's taken us out of just being a bar restaurant brand, primarily more into retail. So here we are, you know, coming up on our 15 year anniversary, we're raising money because all of a sudden it's like, wow. Wow if we need to go into retail, we got to go big or go home. And so it, it's a lot of people say, how do you do it after this many years? And I said, actually, that's what's fun about it. Innovating and doing new stuff is much more fun than just selling the same stuff every single day.
0: I be your story. <laughs>
1: Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
0: you. On that same thread, I did want to ask, do you tell the listeners a little bit more about or more information on how organic translates to the quality of the spirits and as you wanted to highlight its benefits to the planet.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking because I think that's very important. There are, you know, there's still, I think, a certain segment of society that doesn't really buy into the, the organic part, both in the final product or on the, you know, sustainability piece. And I think really, I tell people, there's two main things, especially again, because we are in the beverage alcohol industry. And so a lot of people are understandably so um, skeptical of organic because you're still drinking alcohol. And if you do not drink alcohol in moderation, it's it you know can have a obviously very negative impact on your health. And so the main thing we talk about is, is twofold. When we talk about the product itself, we simply say, we are sourcing ingredients from the actual plant that would be on your dinner plate or in your your glass uh, or or from the farm. We're not creating things out of thin air. And so they taste like what they're supposed to. And I remember when we launched the cucumber vodka, and by the way, it took us three years to get it right. It tasted like pickles. I mean, it was so (laughs) hard to get it right. And I remember my distiller telling me because he's he's really he was like the scientist I was the idea person said this is what I want it to taste like and this is what I want in it but I don't know how to put it together and he's the guy who would you know put it together and I remember he said Allison if we could use synthetic fake vanilla with the cucumber I could mask that pickle flavor and it would taste just like cucumber and you would never know it and I'm like what And he said, yeah, synthetic vanilla is actually one of the most widely used masking agents in food and beverage globally. Wow. Yeah. Who would have thunk, right? And he said, it doesn't taste anything like regular vanilla. And so he said, but it's like a masking agent. And so that was a big light bulb moment for me because he said, the reason it's taking me so long is because I can't fake it. And so when the cucumber first came out and we were the first in the market, everybody was blown away because it actually tasted like you sliced real cucumbers and put it into your vodka. And I don't think the the, the consumers nor the industry was, was used to that. They were so used to so many fake things. And so I think the reason for being organic was because we needed to prove that we couldn't fake it. Right. We could have used natural cucumber, called it natural cucumber, put the fake vanilla in it and put on our label that we we use natural cucumber and it and gotten away with it because we didn't have to we didn't have to reveal the fact that we were putting in a masking agent. But when you're certified organic, they have to see every single ingredient that goes into your 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 product. They have to review your production process. And you even have to have your facility certified organic, meaning that you are cleaning your equipment with, with products that are allowed under organic standards and not chemicals. And I actually know a distillery that makes organic ingredient products, but they aren't certified organic. And I remember saying, why are you not certified organic? Cause you do everything else that's organic, but how come you didn't get certified? He said, because I have a rat problem. And oh, yeah. I, the rats get in my grain, my sacks of grain. And the only way I can get rid of them, I hate to say it, is with raticides or whatever you call it, pesticides or pet, whatever they're calling. And he said, that's not allowed under organic standards. So I can't get my distillery certified organic because of what I use to keep, you know, the rats out of my grain. So that's the degree that organic matters is that it's all the way through the, the chain that everything you do has to be natural and not chemical-based. And then the second part of it is the obvious, which is the environment. Um, You know, when you have farmers using, there's all these studies now that farmers who have used these big, you know, pesticides to to keep the weeds away, the, the farm hands are getting sick, right? They're being exposed, if not directly through contact, but through the air to all of these herbicides, pesticides, and chemicals that are not natural. And it's causing cancers and it's causing, you know, health issues. And so it's for both the workers and the land. And you don't deplete land as quickly, you know, or at all when you're using, you know, organic kind of nutrients and cover crops and things like that. So organic farming is such an important part of, the, of, of, of keeping a healthy earth. And I believe in America, we, we kind of lost our path. You, know, you go to Europe and it's not as unusual to find organic products and they don't think it's as big of a deal to label things organic. And that's because they're not using all these lab created pesticides. And so a big part of, of what we do is, is it, it's just an ethos. It's, it's just the right thing to do. And you know what? my vodka costs a lot more money because of that. It's on average $35 a bottle. And I get a lot of pushback from some of my distributors who wish they could sell more volume. They're like, you need to be 24.99. And I say to be 24.99, I have to cut all these corners. And you know, there are people out there like me who will pay a premium for a product mm-hmm. that's made the right way in addition to tasting delicious. And so that's just a, an important part of being organic.
0: Definitely, I agree. And, uh, wow, (laughs) I've learned so much. I feel like I'm interviewing you for like a 60 minutes expose. (laughs) 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 I did not know any of that. Wow. (laughs) Good to know. But I also wanted to ask, um, you're one of the first women to start her own spirits brand in the U.S., you're recognized for mentoring other women in Spirits and entrepreneurs that have launched their own product lines. What does that mentorship look like or any advice, tips you can share for fellow women in this Spirits industry?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I have, I think, done, you know, tried to give back to the community um, in the Spirits world, women in particular because I was one of the first ones and, um, and not just starting my own company. But I mean, I was a vice president when I was 34. And I was always the youngest woman in the room. I was usually the only woman in the room um, at the executive (laughs) level in a lot of meetings um, with both distributors and our national sales partners. And so you know, I kind of had already been through, um, you know, the growth of women getting more involved in the spirits industry and balancing out overall diversity. And um, I think the thing for me is that I, I there are two, two pieces that I feel like I've kind of driven. One was well, quite some time ago when there literally were less than you know, you, you have extra fingers on your hands when you, you counted how many women started spirits brands there were. I, I kind of spearheaded this summit, if you will, where I got about five of us together who had started brands, or if we hadn't been the one to actually start it, we were, they were running the, the company. And I said, you know, we got to get together. We got to, turn off our cell phones and leave our kids and our boyfriends and our girlfriends behind and all this stuff and, you know, and come meet and just talk about what our biggest challenges are and be willing to, you know, to really share and not be afraid of sharing a, you know, a trade secret that we don't want somebody to take advantage of. Because if we don't help each other, we're on our own, we're not going to get anywhere. And so we all flew out to to Colorado, went to the ski house of one of the women who had a ski house, sat there for three days and, you know, put up the chart, you know, in her living room and, you know, key problems and what's your pain point and all the blah, 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 and all that. And it was kind of like the beginning of that we've got to help each other, you know, moment. And the challenge we had was there weren't enough of us. So you almost need. A little bit more critical mass for it to take its wings. And we did all stay in touch and we did keep helping each other. We would, you know, share booths together, tasting booths together at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans every summer. Or we would, you know, somebody would go in and get their spirit into to a cocktail menu in a bar and they would say, oh, but if you really need this kind of a product, then you need to talk to you know, Allison for vodka or Melanie for, for Pisco or, you know, so-and-so. And so so we did help each other, but there wasn't a lot of critical mass, but now I'm so happy to say that now there are more of us. And I think it's really come that a lot of women have come across my story and they just reach out that either on LinkedIn or they somehow find my information and they ask if I can, you know, spend some time with them. And, you know, I only have one kind of main criteria for for helping them, and it's basically is this is this really what you want to do, or is this like a little funsy project? Because it's fine, I don't have a problem if this is your hobby, but I, you know, where I can help you the most is if the if this if you're serious about it. And so I, I do set up times to talk to them, try to help them. I, I've been very surprised to see and hear that most of the people I've spoken to come from outside the industry. And I just sit there and go, girl, (laughs) I don't know how you're going to, you know, this is tough. It's tough for somebody from within the industry. It's like the learning curve is inverted. And so I try to shorten the learning curve and offer my help, you know, along the way. And so I, I would say there's probably at least a good four, five or six companies that I've, you know, taken on as some serious mentorship over, over the years. And I just try to help wherever I can try to help them avoid the pitfalls, but they're hard to avoid. (laughs) It's a very sexy industry and it is a way, way harder industry to succeed in than anybody thinks, because the only thing they see is all the press and all the amazing, wonderful things about your product, which is great but I think a lot of people don't realize on the commercial side of it, how hard it is to break through. It's really tough. Yeah,
0: I never thought of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean the thing for me, I think the biggest challenge is, uh, and again, for people for outside of the industry who don't know the industry and it's not their fault, um, it's just until you live it, you don't understand it, is the distribution system in the United States is absolutely the most difficult one in the world. It is so restrictive. It is so uh, driven by state laws, um, which is fine. I believe in federal and state you know, type of laws, but you've got 16 states where the government is actually the distributor. And that just is very problematic. And so you can't ever really have as a small brand, a national strategy. You just can't do it. And so you've got this juxtaposition of you're better off staying local and small and really succeeding in a, in a smaller footprint. But then financially, you need to be bigger a lot of times than in one region in order to actually have the scale to be able to, to make it profitable. So they really fight against each other. And then if you don't have access to market as a small brand, because of the structure of the market, such as a government controlled state where almost no small brand can get into the state, um, you know, you're just hampered. And I don't think people, a lot of entrepreneurs who come into the industry, male and women, not, this is not just a, this is not a female comment. They, they really don't realize how they just think, oh, if I build it, they will come. I'm going to have the best whiskey on the planet. or I'm going to have the best liqueur, and And people, people love my homemade liqueur and I'm going to make it now this way. And I'm going to be like hugely successful. And then all of a sudden they're three years in and they've lost their house and they've lost whatever. And it's just really hard. So I try to be really, really, really realistic with all of the people that I mentor so that they don't, I don't want to discourage them, but I don't want to paint it like a bed of roses either.
0: No, you're right. I just assume it's a very sexy industry. Yeah, that I would totally do. But yeah, I don't know anything about (laughs) distribution or any of that. Right. I
1: always (laughs) always start my calls with and I and I'm always I always wonder whether I've just come off as like not being very supportive. But I always say, okay, before we start this meeting, the first thing I'm going to tell you and then I'll get I'll get over it and then I'll tell you I'll tell you how I'm going to help you is don't do it. don't do it it's so much harder than you think are you sure you're ready you know so I know I've actually turned off one person who she's like I have no idea I'm like if you if you've got access to millions and millions for you to be as big as you said you want to be then go ahead but you know so
0: well I'm glad you've made it to 15 years plus yeah yeah and I think your story is amazing Thank you. you for sharing it.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for asking for me to share my story. It's been a fun ride.
0: (laughs) And I'd love to know also what's next for you, Square One, anything new coming up that you could share with us?
1: I mean, I think the new is not so much on the product side because I've described the newer ones that have already come out. You know, the cocktails are actually for a fair number of markets, the the canned cocktails are gonna be new um, because we're just now adding more states. But for me, I think what's exciting is we've had so many consumers over the years who tried our spirits in a bar on a cocktail menu, thanks to the bartending community, who's been very, very supportive of our, of our brand. Um, and they want to try it at home or somewhere. And we haven't had as much retail distribution. And so now with the kind of whole portfolio of spirits, cocktails, and in uh, the mixers, I'm excited that we're going to just be more available. It's going to take us a while, right? It takes a while to to build your distribution and get out there. But for a brand that's been focused primarily in bars, restaurants, and hotels, and just a few kind of retail groups and chains, um, it's exciting that we're going to be more widely available. And the other exciting part is that, I mean, I guess COVID did have a silver lining. And I, I don't like to say that because of all the horrific things we've all had to go through um you know as as society and as human beings um to get through this and i know we're not done getting through it but from a strictly business perspective what was interesting and fascinating about the impact of covid and the lockdown is that the wine and spirits but particularly spirits industry has one of the lowest e-commerce um transaction rates, if you will, of any consumer products, goods. Um, There's just this mindset of the consumer, understandably, that they can't buy online. It's not legal. Why would I buy that online? I just need to go to the store. I I can't just buy it like it's on Amazon. But what ended up happening is people had to find ways because they were buying everything online. And so it's been fascinating to watch the e-commerce channels for alcoholic beverage grow Exponentially, and we've been able to participate in that. And so, for the first time ever, you can actually buy—not in every state, but we—it ships to most states. You can buy all three of our product lines on one shop on our website. Whereas, you know, and that only launched in August. Whereas before, it's actually not our website; it's a partner who does the fulfillment. It's their website, but it looks like it's our website. Um, and um, that's really fascinating. So for me, I think this kind of talking to our consumer more directly is what's really fun about our expansion. Is not just relying on distributors and bartenders to get our products out to people, but we have a little bit more control over our destiny. So that's that's the new part that we're excited
0: about. That's so interesting. I've always also wondered, like, why you have to put your like your date of birth because you could just make it up
1: (laughs) right and actually that's not a legal requirement um that is kind of an an unwritten industry um responsibility code um so it it literally is you don't have to do it but pretty much everybody does it because they want to be sure that they're at least showing that they're trying to not target underage but you're absolutely right people can lie um so it's not a requirement but it's 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 something that people feel that they have to do as, as well as saying you know please drink responsibly don't drink and drive it's part of our message you know in a category that like i said if not handled properly can not end
0: up being a good thing for people interesting And well, now i know yes now
1: you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> any other final things you want to share before we get into brunch questions? <laughs>
1: No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. I mean, I think the only thing I just will wrap up the conversation with is, you know, because we did start with my early uh, being one of the first uh, women and certainly first organic is I just, for anybody who is, you know, listening to your, your podcast, I, um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm just thrilled and I cannot say that enough. How many women are now in spirits and they they're starting their spirits companies. It first was more women, you know, in management at spirits companies or whatever and progressing, which was awesome. But now there are so many who are really taking the leap, but they are mostly for the most part, still very small brands trying to find their way. And, um, the products are incredible. They are absolutely incredible, but a lot of them are like what we are, which is we're small and we're bootstrapping it ourselves and we're not necessarily going out and trying to raise $10 million and try to sell it for a hundred million and laugh all the way to the bank. A lot of the women who are starting these brands are doing it because they love what they're doing. They love creating something. They love sharing it with their friends. They're doing it for, for not for money. They're doing it not to say that nobody wants to make money. We all want to make money. We all want to, you know, hopefully sell our company someday or turn it into a legacy company where you pass it on to your kids. But, but I feel like so far there are a lot of small, beautiful women owned brands that have yet to be supported. And so I would love for people to go out of their way, find that women owned brand that you've heard about or not heard about, but you want to try and give it a try because you really will make a big impact on helping us all grow And like we like to say, I'm a founding member of this group called the Women's Cocktail Collective. And, um, uh, you know, Nicola Nice, who's the founder and CEO of Pomp and Whimsy, Gin Liqueur, she's really the one who took my original summit idea from eons ago where there weren't enough of us and 10 plus years later, you know, didn't know anything about that summit, but said we all need to get together and help each other. So she created this cocktail collective. And. There's like more than 25 of us now. And one of the things that she always says is, you know, what is it? Um, I can't remember the saying, but is it um, rising tides, raise all ships type of thing? Um, and so a lot of women do need as much support as possible with folks actually seeking out and purchasing women-owned spirits. So that'll be my last pitch.
0: <laughs> Amen. I love it. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you some wrap-up questions. Okay do you like brunch? I love brunch and (laughs) I
1: don't do it enough. And, you know, when I was, you know, looking at everything, uh, getting ready for our conversation, I was just like, you know, I gotta do it more often. It just, it's too easy to, to get lazy and then
0: not do it. But I
1: absolutely love, love, love brunch.
0: I'm so glad. I feel like I have to ask permission like see if people are brunch people now. And I'm so glad you are one. Um, but I was going to ask, what is your favorite brunch spot, meal? Could be anything. What's your ideal situation? Yeah. So I'm going to take us back to Spain,
1: right? <laughs> of course. And um, so therefore, you know, I can't actually capitalize on what my favorite Meal place or time would be because I can't get to Spain, but it, they they do this thing on the weekends called you know it's like you know la hora del vermouth the hour of vermouth or vamos a tomar un vermouth and the, basically your friends call you up Sunday morning nine o'clock 30. and they're like let's go let's go have a vermouth and that is basically the signal in Spain for let's go have brunch. And so it's a different version of brunch. You know, it's not sitting down to eggs and bacon and pancakes like we do here, maybe in the U S but it's very driven by you're going and you're first going to have a cup of coffee and chit chat. And then the next thing you do is you order your vermouth, (laughs) which is your aperitif. And then you follow it by just snacking. And you're just standing there. And a lot of times it's at a tapas bar. You're not sitting down ordering off of a menu. And that is your version of brunch. Um, and it takes place a lot of times of the mid-meal day, especially when you're young and you, you're not going to go you know, anywhere to have lunch with your family because you're out with your friends. And that to me was just like the Sunday morning ritual. So it's not a very typical version of brunch, but that's how I view brunch. If there's not a glass of vermouth in front of me on the rocks with an orange slice, it's not
0: the same thing. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Gosh. Now I feel so culturally inspired now. Well, I wish, you know, I, I
1: was thinking about this just the other day, even not, you know, in anticipation of our conversation, knowing we might end up talking about brunch, but I thought gosh how what is it about the US that we can't quite pull off this European style lazy Sunday but you're actually allowed to drink and it's not a bloody mary sunday right you know it's like you're having a glass of bubbles or you're having a vermouth and I don't know it's just I you where you want to walk into a bistro and they've got this whole thing of of you know this whole vat or i guess or tub of, of sparkling wines and vermouth all sitting on ice. And and you order that at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And so I, I just kind of wish somebody would do that. So that's an idea for you restaurant yeah. people out there, right? Definitely. <laughs> do a European yeah. brunch.
0: <laughs> I love how New York is doing the outdoor cafes and it feels very European, which I yeah. love. Yeah. But it's yeah. only like warm here a certain chunk of the time. <laughs> exactly. But I'm loving it. Next question. Since we're the brunch and learn podcast, we learned a ton from you today. So thank you. You're welcome. But I also wanted to flip it around on you. So you can answer one or both up to you. What is one thing that you learned this week? And it could be totally random, anything. Or what was the last thing you Googled? (laughs) (laughs) If you could share. (laughs) I
1: I was very glad you actually, you know, full disclosure to your audience, you you did let me know about that one in advance because that was a hard one to kind of think about, right? And I was like, oh, okay, how do I answer that? And I went back to my Google history. I'm like, yeah, that is so not interesting. We're not going (laughs) to talk about that. Um, But you know what's funny? You are not going to believe this. And I promise you, I swear to God, it's true. I actually made my own homemade bitters for the first time in my life this week. (laughs) That is cool. And you're like, why? You're like a cocktail nerd. Like, what took you so long? And I think it's because there's so many amazing bitters on the market that I just go buy everybody else's bitters. You know, oh, I'll have that one and I'll try that one and I'll try that one. And then the other day, I really wanted something that was floral, but the only floral ones I could find were lavender, just lavender. And I was like, no, I want something that's more complex, not just lavender. And I want all these other things. And I want chamomile, and I want rose, and I want whatever. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to make my own bitters. And we actually make have this really super small production of 120-proof vodka that we make. It's not sold under the square one name because it's not organic, so therefore I won't do it. But I did it because we had some bars, um, bars in San Francisco, Virginia, New York, all these other places are like, we need a really high quality, um, high proof vodka for extraction for our bitters and tinctures. And we don't really want to use Everclear. Um, And but there's really nothing out there. And I was like, well, you know, I'll I'll make you a small, small amount. So we only make like made like 50 cases of it. So I have my own bottle sitting in my bar of my own product, 120 proof vodka, which is specifically done for tinctures and bitters and things like that. And I never even cracked it. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to make my own bitters. So this week I learned how to make bitters by watching everybody else's YouTube channel on how to
0: make bitters. So cool. That is cool. I
1: mean, who would have thought, right? The
0: cocktail person has never made bitters before, so... I don't know how to do that. Yeah. That sounds so interesting. Yeah. I think it's COVID. Like I did the same thing where I'm like making sharshuka and bopka, and I'm like, I could get this anywhere. Why am I doing this at home? But let's try <laughs> it. Uh, Cause why not?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I learned this week.
0: How to make bitters. <laughs> that's cool. Awesome. So finally, how can and where can people find you on the internet and say hi?
1: Yeah, we're in a couple places uh obviously social media and our website so our our everything is kind of square one organic and then you can usually find us although I think there's like a baby baby food company that's called Square one um, but uh, square one com is our website and we have you know all the we have a lot of recipes and product information on there and of course a shop an online shop. Uh, in case anybody wants to purchase and ship to them. And then we are also on Instagram at square one organic spirits and our, our handle, I guess, on Facebook is square one organic vodka because we started that so early that all we had was vodka. So it's called square one organic vodka. We never changed it. And then like our, you know, depending on where some of your um, listeners live, the organic, cocktail mixers are at whole foods mid-atlantic all the whole foods mid-atlantic stores price chopper in the northeast you know ralph's in the west so we've got you know some really cool places where you can find our different product lines and on our website if anybody's interested in purchasing at brick and mortar instead of online we keep a fairly updated list of where to find our products um so that's easy for people to to,
0: to scope out as well awesome Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was really fun talking about food and booze and all that good stuff. Hey, friends, virtual hugs for completing another episode of the Brunch and Learn podcast. Did you learn something new this episode? I sure did. If you're loving the podcast, don't shy away from showing your love. Consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to hear more guests and episodes, head over to our website at womenwhobrunch.com for episodes, recipes, blog posts, updates on events, and much more. See you guys soon.